0: Welcome back to Gaming with Gage, your podcast for role-playing games and the periphery. Thanks for being here. And thank you for joining us for Season 4. Those of you who have been listening for a while know that new seasons are opportunities for us to try new things, and this season is no different. We're bringing back topic episodes. This will give us a chance to have some new and old voices dig into specific gaming areas that we just couldn't do with our interview slash AP format. But what about the APs, you ask? We're still going to be doing them, but probably not as often. What about the finale to Where's Agatha, you ask? Also on cue? Unfortunately, that episode has been delayed due to scheduling mostly my own, though we will be bringing back Who's Agatha this season. I haven't been sitting idly by these last two months either. Some of you have already noticed that I've joined Gamers Table as a cast member. Not only was Gamers Table one of the first RPG podcasts I listened to, but Eric Ossley was our very first guest on this show. So this is very special to me, and I hope you all enjoy the show. I've also released my first title under the Savage Worlds Adventurers Guild, or SWAG if you're hip with it. A Savage Guide to Dinosaurs features 19 fully-statted dinosaurs, as well as an original one-sheet called Dino World, which is one of the first, like, this is the first thing I put out into the universe, guys, I'm a little little nervous, I hope you like it. To kick off our season premiere, I invited Jeremy Puckett, creator of Heroes of Terra, to talk about Savage Rifts. Heroes of Terra is very cool. (laughs) But with the new Savage Rifts Kickstarter finished, I wanted to provide a good starting point for people who were interested in it, maybe a little intimidated and didn't know where to start. People like me, (laughs) who knew nothing about it except the word Glitter Boy. Jeremy was kind enough to come on the show and educate me mostly, let's be honest. If you have ideas for topic episodes, the best place to let us know is on our Discord. It's where we do all of our interviews and occasionally run online gaming sessions. You can also spy on my current home game. As always, we ask that you rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. With all of that out of the way, let's jump into Savage Riffs with Jeremy Puckett.
1: Uh, I'm Jeremy Puckett. I am the uh, owner and writer for Blackwing Productions, a Savage Worlds and Cortex Prime imprint that mainly publishes through Drive RPG. I was the first person to have a Cortex Plus license back when Margaret Weiss (laughs) Productions still had it.
0: Uh,
1: And uh, now I publish a lot of community content for Cortex Prime. uh, And I've had a Savage Worlds license for my Heroes of Terra setting for about three years now.
0: And you just had a very successful Kickstarter.
1: Yeah, I was actually really surprised. Like, I kind of thought I would start the thing up and ask for a very moderate sum, which is like I am making almost nothing off of what the, uh, the amount we raised was. It's almost all like art and editing and layout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I figured I would get like four pledges, and three of them would be people I knew in real life. <laughs> like it well, would be like 100 bucks 29 days into the Kickstarter, and I'd be like, oh, well, at least I finally did what I said I was going to do. But <laughs> at no, least we, I uh, said I did it, and I yeah, did it. We 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 made our three thousand dollar goal. I was really pleased. I was incredibly pr- happy at the uh, the community turnout, uh, and I'm just I was stunned. I was floored. It's the first really big thing I've done, uh, and I'm glad it succeeded.
0: <laughs> and you know, if I was a good podcast host, we'd be on here to talk about. Heroes of Terra, but I'm not. Yeah. Um, so, I but know really right? quick though cuz I think Heroes of Terra is very cool. So we are we're going to be talking about risks because and yes. I, I'm going to warn you. I know f- literally four things I'm going to be useless. I am it's called gaming with Gage, but on this episode it might as well be gaming with Jeremy because I'm going to be useless. But really quick cuz Heroes of Terra is such a cool concept. Do you want to just give a little uh, oh, like sure. elevator pitch? Yeah, the the elevator pitch is that Heroes
1: of Terra is a sword and sorcery setting uh, in sort of the pulp Conan-esque John Carter of Mars style, where the main character is anyone you could imagine being in Super Smash Brothers. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is a world where the dinosaurs never doubt Magic is based on talking to flowers, and all the combat styles involve jumping really high, throwing things at people, and sometimes occasionally randomly doubling in size. <laughs> uh, I always like to call it Conan the Barbarian if the main character was an Italian plumber. You have a lot of really good taglines for the setting. Yeah, I've I've had a few years to think about it. I've actually been working on Heroes of Terra in one way or another since uh, 2007. Back when it was just Heroes of the Mushroom Kingdom, and it was like this dumb convention game I threw together. Uh, I was the uh, the president of a uh, gaming club through our local university, uh, and I had to come up with a convention game at like 20 minutes notice because someone dropped out of our schedule. Uh, and we ran a, a convention every year. Usually drew a couple hundred people it was a great time, but the couple of years I was in charge of it were a nightmare. Uh, Cause I got to see all the <laughs> scheduling crap that, that our great officers never let anyone see. Uh, and so I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do in 20 minutes? And so I just hashed together you know a a few like rando super mario brothers characters in savage worlds and uh just ran an adventure that was set in the the mario brothers world and since then i've been thinking about it like more and more semi seriously cuz it's not a super serious setting you know <laughs> but it it it's one of those things that you can look at and go okay yeah i see where that's coming from from a logical standpoint And now I get the joke. (laughs) So, Heroes of Terror is very much like inspired by classic Nintendo
0: games from that era, but is not just that anymore. Yeah, I, that's how I think of you and it is from the Savage Worlds Discord. Is it just like, oh, I'd really love to do something that's like Nintendo inspired. And everyone just goes, have you seen Heroes of Terra? <laughs> like,
1: and it's great that, that, that people can think of me in that respect. I mean, I never
0: thought I'd be the Heroes of Terra guy, but uh, here we are. <laughs> well, not today. Today, you're the Risk guy. Yeah, today,
1: I'm the risk guy. Oh, man.
0: So Riffs has had uh, now two... Ridiculously successful Kickstarters? Yes,
1: uh, they ended at uh, 230,000. I would be dancing in the streets for that.
0: Well, they were until Suede came out. The original uh, Rifts Kickstarter I think was the most successful pinnacle Kickstarter. It but was. Adventures Edition blew it out mm-hmm. of the water because Adventures Edition is... We're all super hype. Okay? Yeah, incredibly <laughs> hype. Anyone involved in Savage Worlds, very hype. Um, and so Rifts came out and so I am in as it as it often happens, you know, go into the Savage Worlds Discord. I don't know if you experience this. Sometimes I feel like I don't know anything about Savage Worlds in that Discord. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I, I feel like I really do. But I do occasionally get those moments where when people start talking about statistical analysis and I just oh, God, I yes. astral project right out of my body. <laughs> now, so someone said me something to me about odds and I'm like, Oh, I don't I don't do odds. That's what I have Discord for. Because you can just <laughs> For anyone out there who likes Savage Worlds, you can literally just go into that Discord and be like, I was wondering what the probability was for this. And you'll have a physicist, an engineer, Mm -hmm. uh, a postgraduate student who all give you numbers and, like, like course correct each other. And you'll have accurate numbers, like, within a half an hour. It's insane. So I am personally
1: blessed and cursed with a plethora of of highly skilled mathematicians at my own personal table. Oh, that's uh, nice. One of my players is a uh, an astrophysicist. <laughs> oh, one of them is a professor of computer science. And then there is my wife who is a geotechnical engineer. Oh, wow. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, so between the three of them, I can be like, so what are the odds of, and I will get three almost instantaneous answers, one of which is exactly accurate, one of which accounts for a bunch of variables and one of which is the actual practical thing that I wanted to know. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. But yeah, so outside of that Discord, I, in other little smaller ponds or different ponds, I should say, I've become known as uh, like a Savage Worlds guy because I, I think once you love the system, you'd never shut up about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, I was thinking about doing something with zombies, but in space, have you looked at Savage Worlds? <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. So this new Rifts Kickstarter comes out for North America, and of course, everybody who kn- in those other circles is like, "Oh, Gage, look, it's a, it's, it's Savage Rifts, it's a Savage Worlds Kickstarter," and I have to be the person who's like, "Yeah, I actually don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that there's glitter boys and that they're pretty and shiny." Oh man, <laughs> I, I will talk about glitter boys in
1: a minute and how they are one of my earliest role playing loves. But uh, no,
0: yeah, Rifts. <sighs> That's a broad and deep pool right there. yeah, and you and I were talking on the Discord. I was saying, you know, for people who are newer to savage worlds or n- don't just don't know riffs and want to check it out, I couldn't find anything that was really nice and like a condensed here's the here's the intro, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yes, and I was like, I would do it, but I know nothing about it. And yeah, you, know, you were kind enough to be like, I know stuff about it.
1: <laughs> I'm always happy to to jabber on, uh, as my friends know. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do today so jeremy what is riffs okay so Rifts is a science fantasy gonzo kitchen sink post post-apocalyptic setting uh <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and, and say that i am an unabashed riffs fanboy uh in kind of the most direct and literal sense in that riffs was the very first rpg i collected seriously oh wow there's a Um, lot to collect. There's a lot to collect. I started role-playing in uh, 1991. By the time I graduated high school, I had spent more on Rifts books than I spent on my first car. (laughs) That is not even a joke. To be fair, my first car was awful. It was was terrible. (laughs) Uh, Rifts is a 27-year-old setting at this point, and I would dare say it is the only setting that has been continuously publishing that long. Like, under the same people... Under the same publisher with the same house system, and that that's, that's a, an incredible legacy, no matter how you feel about the system
0: now i've heard as someone who's again on the outside mm-hmm. what i what I generally hear about riffs is really kind of fun crazy like world and then horrible rule setting that is, is like that is Sorry, absolutely the truth that I, <laughs> i've
1: been i've been collecting riffs since 1992, and I have been uh, looking for a new rules system since uh, 1993 uh, <laughs> is, is sometimes I like to tell people. But no, Riffs is, it is this gonzo, wacky, over-the-top, everything you thought was cool when you were 12 thrown into one setting. The <laughs> rules are not as bad as some people make them out to be, but they are definitely way behind the times on modern game design, very broadly spaced out in every core book with these lists of skills that are poorly explained and a lot of things that contradict each other in the same book, it it is playable. Don't get me wrong. It is more playable than many of the things that came out in 1990, let me tell you. (laughs) But uh, it is a slog. And so uh, I am super happy to have an official Savage Worlds version, especially considering the number of people over the years that have tried to come up with some unofficial for it and gotten yelled at by Palladium Books over that. Uh, Myself being one of them. (laughs) I'm I'm also not kidding about this. I got, in high school, three cease and desist letters from Palladium Books. Do you include those in your collection? I do include those in my collection. (laughs) They are points of pride for me. Uh, Now, Palladium was well within their rights. I never want to indicate that that, that that's not true, but Palladium has this very proprietary very our game is our game attitude towards their their house settings they have been very stern over the years about not permitting fan conversions to or from their house system that has been a point of contention with the fandom for a long time so a lot of us kind of thought it would be a cold day in hell before we saw
0: rifts licensed to another system i'm always of two minds on that creators own what they create so if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Like That's yours, it's your property. But on the other hand, it's like your thing's only still a thing because of your fan base. So it's exactly. a weird dichotomy.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I fully embrace that they are well within the rights for that. I think it's a, a slightly self-defeating attitude in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. clearly it's worked for them to some degree because they're still around when a lot of their contemporaries aren't. Yeah. I mean, in 1990, who were the big companies? Uh, TSR. White Wolf, and Palladium, and Palladium is the only one of them that's still around. Ah, That's a good point. A bit ragged at the edges in places, (laughs) but there is something enduring about Palladium's settings because they have this, I use the word gonzo a lot for them, but it's true, this gonzo energy to them that you can feel the enthusiasm that the creators have for their own material. But none of this talks about what Rifts is. I'm like this is almost <laughs> all like backstory about how Rifts is, but not what it is. So to talk a little about about that, the idea is that sometime in the late 21st century, after a period of peace and high technology, humanity screwed the pooch collectively. And uh, blew themselves back to hell with nukes. Surprising no one. Surprising no one at all. <laughs> the surprise was that uh, this this nuclear Armageddon came at sort of a you know grand conjunction of mysticism, time, and tore open the doors between realities and let this torrent of magical energy back into the world, which made the disaster much much worse. Like in the the books, they talk about you know something like ninety nine percent of humanity being wiped out. Over the course of like 24 hours.
0: That's intense. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And so the planet was reshaped. Continents rose from the ocean. The coastlines uh, rose up because of it. Huge amounts of coastal flooding, earthquakes, new mountains rising, changes in the weather patterns, uh, and magic. Magic came back uh, along with lots and lots of magical creatures who suddenly found a new world to call their own. And so then there's this long dark ages period Uh, That's something like 150 to 200 years where no one's keeping records because humanity is on the brink of extinction. And then you start to get like civilization rebuilding itself out of the ashes and rebuilding with like this hypertech scavenged from the old world plus magic and psionics and all sorts of crazy stuff. As these tiny kingdoms are starting to reach out to each other for the first time in a long time. And so the uh, the current timeline of rifts starts around like 300 years after the apocalypse. So it's not so much a post-apocalypse setting as it is a post-post-apocalypse setting. Because <laughs> the disaster is over. You know, humanity is rebuilding. There is civilization
0: again. It's just there's a lot of cleanup left to do. So that's the, the logical jump for how you have basically everything you want. So it's just like fantasy, you know, magic comes back there is hypertech it's you have scarcity built in so not everyone's running around and stuff mm-hmm. and then so what are like are is it quick enough cuz again i know nothing is it quick enough to go over like the basics of what the kingdoms are um uh, man that would be no like there's 2700 of them there, there,
1: there, <laughs> okay so there are uh something like 60 books out for the rift setting oh my goodness uh like 30 of those are directly about Earth and what's going on in that, and then, like, another 15 are about Earth and other stuff, and then, like, the rest are about different parts of the multiverse. Oh, good. So the, I was the, worried
0: about the multiverse. Yeah, I
1: know, right? <laughs> rifts is named for the fact that there are these dimensional rifts that open up in, in reality, these tears in space and time. The world is crisscrossed by this system of ley lines, which you can think of as sort of like magical arteries that carry the life's blood of, of the Earth with them. And where they cross, they create nexus points where magic wells and pools. And sometimes that magic gets so built up that it just explodes like a volcano and tears open space and time. And that's a rift. And that's a rift. And so the people of the modern day refer to the apocalypse as the coming of the rifts.
0: Oh, that's a good name. That's a good in-world name. Yeah. I see why they're good at setting stuff.
1: Yeah. And so uh, the original setting focused uh, very squarely on the North American continent and very much on like the, uh, the Midwest where all the the kingdoms of humanity are starting to slowly rebuild themselves because the coasts were totally wrecked. And so all the big metropolises of Earth are near coastlines generally. Mm -hmm. You know, the biggest cities in the world are on ocean coasts or along rivers. And so any, uh, you know, major apocalypse that involves... Both Nuking civilization and sudden coastal rise is going to wipe most of those out. Civilization sort of regrew in like you know places where today we think of as flyover country, you know like Wisconsin and Michigan and Kansas.
0: So that's also where a lot of game designers are from.
1: Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and, and point of fact. I always, I always <laughs> think that uh, half the reason why uh, Michigan and Wisconsin are so important in the rifts lore is because Palladium Books is stationed in southwestern Michigan. <laughs> the big things to know about the North American continent is that there are basically two major powers there. There's the Coalition States of America who consider themselves the true descendants of the American Empire. Their tech and their image and their philosophy are the result of drawing on, you know, the old American states. The problem is that they're Nazis. Oh great! I'm not going to
0: sugarcoat this at all. They are Thank straight you. up Nazis. Thank you, because I have heard some in the Rifts community. I've seen like what I would call the like the apologists, and the I love this thing. Some of it's garbage, but I love this thing. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things I have heard is that that they are Nazis. They are <laughs> straight up Nazis. the The
1: core book makes no bones about it, and so i was always surprised when there are apologists for the coalition states. We're like, well, you know, <laughs> humanity is threatened. Magic is a danger. And I'm like, well, yes, but, you know, reasonable people don't think that and then put people in concentration camps. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's not bad. a reasonable response to your problem. Uh, but no, the original core book even straight up says that of the surviving like literature of the past – the current leaders of the coalition specifically model themselves off the Nazi state. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's not good. They're pretty awful. Um, (laughs) So so the coalition is this fascist repressive regime that basically keeps its people as ignorant and complacent as possible so they can maintain power. They're pro-human, anti-everything else. They they are against magic, against aliens, uh, against basically anything that is not just pure human strain. Psychics are kind of allowed in the coalition because if you made everyone with any psychic ability in the world of Rifts... Outlawed, you'd be culling like 30% of your population. Oh, wow. So it's pretty prominent. People with at least like latent psychic abilities is like a third or a fourth of the human survivors. And so, like, psychics have sort of second class citizen status in the coalition. The other weird thing about the coalition is that they also have sort of second class citizen status for like mutant humans and uh, have recently undertaken like genetic engineering to start creating like mutant animal sidekicks for their soldiers. So they have this entire, like, military core of humanoid dog people who they use to hunt down magic users. Oh, wow. Uh, Because, you know, the whole dogs can sense the supernatural thing is (laughs) absolutely true in the world of Rifts. And so a mutant dog is even better at hunting the supernatural.
0: And the cats are even better at hunting the supernatural, but they don't listen to anybody.
1: That is actually a, a significant problem as presented in, in one of the later books. Wait, are uh, you
0: are you serious? I am dead serious. <laughs> I, I am not even kidding. <laughs> so that's really what these are books are like. It's yeah. literally everything you can think of is yes, there somewhere. Yes,
1: absolutely. No, so the Coalition is like the big North American power. They have hypertech. They have some psychics. They have genetic engineering. They avoid magic like the plague the other major north american power is the federation of magic this coalition of various like small kingdoms and city states and you know magical duchies and what have you that are all across the ohio river valley and have formed like a loose network of mutual defense against the coalition very magic, very anti-technology. They embrace supernatural creatures and aliens. They used to be a lot more peaceful, but over the last generation or so, the son of one of the early founders of the Federation has sort of come back from self-imposed exile to retake power there, and is starting to make the, the Federation more and more militant.
0: Interesting. So is the Federation like kind of your classic, like if you're in that area, does it feel Tolkien-esque?
1: Uh, well, here's a thing. Um... There used to be, in the original Rifts timeline, and I'm going to talk about this because like many 90s things, Rifts has (laughs) meta-plot. So in the original version of the setting, there is a kingdom called Tolkien. (laughs) Because of course there is. There is a kingdom called Tolkien up in, uh, I think, Wisconsin, after the famous fantasy author. Because they were a kingdom of magic that embraced things like elves and dwarves. And so they wanted to give tribute to the great fantasist of human history. Was originally a long time ago part of the Federation of Magic, but split off from them during one of their early wars with the Coalition. And so Tolkien sort of stood by itself, and the meta plot for the first, like, 20 books or so of rifts was about the Coalition gearing up to declare war on Tolkien as part of their step of, like, reconquering all of North America for humanity. And so the current meta plot in Savage Rifts is set a year or two after they've succeeded at destroying Tolkien.
0: Oh, okay. So it's that's already happened.
1: So Tolkien is burnt to the ground, all of its people are refugees, and the Federation just sort of watched this happen with this sort of like, well, you weren't there for us when we needed you, so we're not going to be there for you now. And, uh, so the Federation is sort of using the destruction of Tolkien as this militant propaganda of, look what the coalition did to people like us. We have to band together and be more militant to stand against them. And so there's this big showdown between the forces of technology and the forces of magic shaping up in North America as sort of like the big local meta plot.
0: North America is probably a good place to stay for a little while. Cause that's it, what it really is. And the Kickstarter for the sap, like for people who are interested in savage rifts, uh, the Kickstarter was just for North America, yes. correct? Yes, was, was for
1: fleshing out North America. The uh, the three books from the recent Kickstarter are kind of about the Coalition, about the Federation of Magic, and then about the various other threats in North America.
0: Is that kind of how you break down North America in general when you're talking about Rifts?
1: That's how I would do it, and that's how I'm glad that Savage Rifts has done it. Rifts Original Does It is not like that at all. <laughs> they just sort of like vary from thing to thing. Like... There's an entire book about the coalition's, you know, new war campaign that talks for literally hundreds of pages about all their new technology, their new tactics, and never tells you what life is actually like in a coalition. <laughs> like never once. And then you have like books about like the the West of the North American continent and what's going on there and what's going on like East of the, uh, the Appalachians. And there's a book entirely about what's going on in the ruins of Manhattan. It's amazing the, the sheer breadth and depth of material that Rifts has. And there are still these huge gaping holes in its lore about things that have been central to the setting
0: for 27 years. You know, 27, 29 years. So it's not even like, well, you know, they were trying to fit it in a book. I understand that there's some holes. It's like, no, they've had... Like all of these books, yeah. they should have filled this hole by now.
1: There, there, there's been thousands of pages of material. Like, one of the major independent kingdoms of North America is called Laszlo, and it's on the ruins of old Toronto. They have a council that rules them. The head of that council is a dragon. They're semi-democratic. They accept magic and technology, and I have now accepted almost everything that is canonical about them to tell you. <laughs> they are important in almost every single book, for their participation in the meta plot, but there is literally nothing that tells you what Lazlo is like as a place, about how it's laid out, what life is like there, nothing. Oh, that's so crazy because the, yeah. like you're saying that they bring it up all the time. They bring it up all the time. Like Lazlo and its council have participation in like every single important meta plot event since the game started. <laughs>
0: And you just make it up? Or, like, have you done. Have you run games that are set in Laszlo and just made it up? Or. I, I have run games where the party went to
1: Laszlo very briefly. I, I mean, I have my own idea of what's going on there, of obviously. Uh, but it's not like it's an intentional blank spot, like certain parts of the setting have been kind of implied to be. It's more that they just have never done a book about it.
0: My question, jumping in, like, say I yep. went and I got. I'm guessing to start off, the first thing I would need to do would be just get the Savage Rifts book. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and then, like, looking at these three, say, I get one of them, or all three of them. When I'm sitting down as a GM to set a, a Rifts North America, because from what you're telling me, I need to I need to tighten in my scope. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm doing Rifts North America. Like, you've run some games here. So, like, what is the... Like, I'm. I'm. It's rifts, and I know enough. One of like the five things I know about rifts is that what I'm about to say is a dangerous sentence. But what would be like a typical adventure? Well, okay. See, that's the thing. You know, you you mentioned tightening in scope, and that's
1: really important with a setting that is as big and wide and deep as rifts is. Uh, I mean, I have run games where the 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 party were mercenaries, just you know, dicking around in North America. You know, I've run games where. They were working with specific factions for specific goals. And if you don't have that kind of focus, you wind up with what happened with my very first Rifts game, which is all the players sort of looked at each other and went, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) That's actually one of the reasons I really appreciate the Tomorrow Legion being introduced in Savage Rifts. I know that a lot of classic Rifts players uh, have expressed dislike about it, but uh, I think it's brilliant. It gives new GMs a structure and a focus and a goal for their players. Uh, And I mean, if you're a a veteran Rifts person, you don't need the Tomorrow Legion, but if you are a new person just jumping into the setting right here now, the Tomorrow Legion gives you purpose and identity in a way that is very
0: clever. And do you want to talk a little bit about the Tomorrow Legion?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I think it's one of the best additions to the setting for Savage Rifts. I have a slight gripe about them, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, So the Tomorrow Legion, I'm going to act like you know nothing here. Y-
0: you would be correct.
1: I'm going to treat you like Jon Snow. Thank you. So, the Tamara Legion, basically all the good, minor factions in North America finally started talking to each other and said, we need to do something about all this. You know, sort of broadly gesturing at the Coalition and the Federation of Magic. <laughs> because everybody knows there's going to be a war, and everybody knows it's going to be a bat. And the war on Tolkien was awful enough, so now there are literally tens or hundreds of thousands of refugees From this formerly powerful kingdom scattered to the wind in a hostile world filled with monsters. The coalition is more powerful and on top of its game than ever. The federation is growing more militant. And so Laszlo and a bunch of the other good factions got together and said, we need to work together to provide for these refugees to have some way of dealing with this immense humanitarian crisis and to create a power base for whatever the status quo after the next war is because no matter who wins this war it's going to be bad for all the normal people in north america all the peaceful people everyone who wants just to have a nice normal life and not have you know 30 tons of mecha bearing down on them
0: or magical fireballs rained on their farm. <laughs> which is interesting because one of the things that i've i've heard just again skirting the periphery of this is that, uh, from people who are not riffs fans, is that one of the problems they have with riffs is that the closest thing you have to good guys are the Nazis.
1: <laughs> Man, so
0: the that is Legion, a such a
1: loaded statement.
0: Uh, I, I know, there's probably way more, because again, it's 60 bucks, yeah. you're saying, so it's yeah, hard to just... Books. But when you're talking about North America, it kind of seems like the Tomorrow Legion gives you somebody to root for and participate. It does. Uh, the, the That's actually a, a complaint
1: that some of the classic Riffs fans have about it, is that... They're used to dealing with, you know, shades of gray in their morality where, you know, you can kind of see someone's point but don't necessarily agree with them. But the Tomorrow Legion does present sort of an unalloyed good faction for people to root for, to be heroes. And I appreciate that because there has been this tendency over the last several books of rifts to do this sort of whitewashing of the coalition in a way that I am highly uncomfortable with and that the fans have begin to embrace in a way that I am highly uncomfortable with. Because the, the early books are all straight up, like, these dudes are Nazis. They, they put skulls on their uniforms, uh, their leaders read Hitler, and they round people up and put them in concentration camps. They are Nazis, guys. They are <laughs> bad. But the more recent books have much more been about, well, the average person kind of sees them as heroes because they protect humanity. And I'm like, I am not comfortable with this at all.
0: Uh, it's like Star Wars I, I, all I, over I, again.
1: Yeah, I am not happy with you trying to whitewash. And so, introducing a faction you can just root for really thrills my inner Star Wars nerd. You know, like <laughs> I, we needed a rebellion, but uh, like to 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 back up a little bit to like the uh, the the North American thing. You know, you have these vast tracts of wilderness filled with monsters. I ha- Actually, I realize I have forgotten to mention a thing that um, may amuse you. So, uh, creatures from other dimensions, very common in the setting. You know, aliens from other planets, from other times. Uh, generally speaking, uh, these are known as dimensional beings. Uh, and the slang term that people use in-game for them is DBs. Okay. When I told that to my wife the first time, she was like, DB's bees <laughs> Did a very good Nicholas Cage in Wicker Man impersonation very
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: So, you know, you have, you know, vast stretches of the North American continent where humans are a distinct minority, uh, but where a lot of the aliens living there are perfectly peaceful. They're just folks, you know? There's this great uh, picture, actually, in one of the uh, the the middle riffs books of these aliens who look kind of like cactus people, including like the, the little spines and little weird lumps wearing like, you know, farmer John overalls and like holding his little cactus baby in one arm, you know, looking out at their fields. And uh and like, I need to see more stuff like this in games, you know?
0: Yeah. Like representing the other and not just having yeah. them be, you know, XP. Yeah. So let's go over a couple of the other little things that I know about Rifts and you yes. can tell me that I'm wrong. I've heard <laughs> I've, I've I've heard a couple of words. I've heard Glitter uh-huh. Boy.
1: I've yes. heard Juicer.
0: Yes. Juicer, I've heard uh Dragon Hatchling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've heard mega damage. Okay. Uh let me start with the
1: last of those first cuz that that's one of those principles <laughs> that that everybody talks about when they talk about Rifts. So Rifts system was actually derived from Palladium's house system via the Robotech-licensed role-playing game that they had during that time.
0: That's a lot of jumps. (laughs) Uh,
1: That's a lot of jumps. Um, So uh, in the Robotech role-playing game, they wanted to have a system where you could have normal human people and giant mecha on sort of the same scale. And so they came up with this concept called mega damage. One... Mega damage was equal to a hundred normal damage and things that had mega damage capacity were basically just invulnerable to smaller arms fire. So, you know, you can shoot a tank with a handgun all day and nothing's going to happen.
0: Okay. So kind of like heavy, like the way heavy weapons work in Savage Worlds.
1: And in uh, Savage Rifts, that is exactly the distinction. Mega damage is just heavy armor and heavy weapons in Savage Rifts. Uh, So easy. So it's easy. (laughs) One of the things they've previewed for uh, the new version of Savage Rifts is a new setting rule called uh, Blood and Gore, where if you're not wearing Mega Damage armor and get hit with a Mega Damage weapon, uh, it treats it like a gritty injury for the, uh, the gritty wound system. Oh, just nasty. It is nasty, but it's still better than the old system, honestly. Uh, like In old Rifts, Mega Damage creep was a real problem. And there were a lot of handheld weapons that did mega damage that you could just start your character with. So, you know, your starting normal human dude has, you know, maybe 30 or 40 hit points on, you know, sort of a dd and d ish scale. But then you have a handgun that does 1d4 mega damage, and so it, you know, can plink shots at tanks and slowly wear them down. But one point of damage from that against a normal person who's not wearing armor leaves them, you know, a pair of smoking boots. <laughs> Oh, and that crazy. was always a problem.
0: No, that was a problem?
1: Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you had all these debates about how to make things like that work. Uh, there was this meme running around in the Rifts community for a long time when I was a very uh that was basically mega damage or you don't matter. <laughs> uh, and, of course, power creep was a serious problem in Rifts. You know, you you started off with, you know, there were some player character options that had mega damage out the gate. Then you would have books where all of the new character stuff was mega damage and like two or three times more powerful than all the core book options.
0: Now, with Savage Rifts, granted, we're obviously not 60 books in, but have they been managed? Does it look like they're managing the power creep better or? It does, actually. And uh, this is really well reflected in the original Savage
1: Rifts core books uh, in the Tomorrow Legion Player's Guide. They include basically all of the player character options you have from the original Riff's core book, but they're all equally playable out the gate, which is not true in the original Riff's core <laughs> book. Like, because in the original Riff's core book, you had this spread of classes that ranged from, you know, literal dragon hatchling who has more armor than a tank, has magic and psychic powers, can shape change, has this plethora of abilities. And on the other end of that spectrum, you had illiterate hobo with a shotgun.
0: <laughs> That's insane.
1: And they were, they were both presented as like, here are things you can play in the same book, right out the door, with no guidance at all about how to make them work or fit in the same group. But they have all of them, though, what they just balanced them a little better. Uh, yeah, actually, one of the, the great innovations of Savage Rifts is this thing called uh, the Mars framework. Because in Savage Rifts, instead of like character classes, there are the iconic frameworks, which are basically packages of abilities similar to character classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the Mars framework is mercenaries, adventurers, rogues, and scholars. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And so it's it's all of the like miscellaneous, we don't have superpowers, but we can still contribute members of a group. Uh, and one of the ways they handle this is that those people start with more XP and thus more, you know, edges and skills than other people do. Uh, and they usually get a bunch of extra gear or special perks to, to, to round them out. And so the, the Mars frameworks are basically all about, I'm, you know, a normal person in the same sense that, like, Batman is a normal
0: person. <laughs> or like Black Widow and Hawkeye. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know, they're still members of the Avengers. They still carry their weight. That's a good workaround. It is a great workaround. Dragon hatchling is a thing,
0: which just blew my mind <laughs>
1: when I was reading that as a wee person, and I was like, "Wow, you can play, you can play a dragon," because because uh, <laughs> I loved that idea. I, I I owned the Council of Worms box set from D anD D at that time, the box set that let you play as dragons. Ah, uh, but all <laughs> the player characters were dragons in that, and so. Here was a game where it was like, no, no, just play a dragon. We don't care. It was amazing. Uh, Hatchling dragons, uh, they're about the size of a school bus, even though they're hatchlings. In original riffs, you rolled randomly to see how long you had been hatched. And that could range anywhere from like a few weeks to like a couple of hours. What? Yeah, because apparently dragons are born with like the ability to speak normally and they're born literate and (laughs) with full knowledge of how their powers work. Of course, they're dragons. Yeah, they're dragons. They they have hold, some sort of like weird racial memory thing going on. <laughs> In Savage Rifts, you can play a hatchling dragon who is you know young and inexperienced. And one of the things I think is actually really cool about the way they they handled that is that you start without any of your hindrances, ah. and you pick those over the course of your first couple of advances, because your dragon doesn't know who he is yet. And so as you uh, gain your advances, then you start picking your hindrances to sort of round out who you are as a person. That is very neat. It is very neat. I think it was really cool.
0: That's cool because um, it means it matters more than just you're a hatchling because if you were an actual dragon, it wouldn't make sense to have you as a player. Mm-hmm. Like it makes it like actually impact the way you play the character, which is it
1: does. Cool. Absolutely. It, you know, it, it gives you that idea of this is a young creature seeing the world for the first time. And that sort of, like, tie-in for how the story works to how your mechanical abilities interface with it is just good design, I think.
0: Very much so. So, juicers, is juicers another word I've heard.
1: Okay, so this is a piece of slang that has kind of fallen out of date. And you can tell that, you know, the DNA of this game was from the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> like, juicing back then, uh, and still, I guess, a little today, meant well, to take steroids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, a juicer, in the context of Rifts, is a chemically augmented superhuman. Okay. So, they're, they're people who basically have had a computer system installed in their body, as well as this reservoir of nanites and high-impact And the computer, like, doses them regularly to make them stronger and faster and tougher than any normal person could ever hope to be. So basically, every juicer is like steroid Captain America. (laughs) That is very cool. The problem is that the constant use of those abilities, the human body was not meant to withstand that. So juicers burn themselves out in a very short amount of time. Like, juicers live like five to six years after they get the treatment. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, and so juicing and juicers as a whole have this sort of, like, live fast, die young mentality attached to them, where, you know, you only become a juicer if you're the sort of person who's desperate enough or crazy enough to think that you can make your life matter in five years, if you just had the power to do it. Oh, wow.
0: (laughs) That's kind of sad, but also kind of cool.
1: And so, you know, you get people who were converted to juicers unwillingly, too, who uh, basically were taken as slaves and put through the process and then were equipped with like explodo collars and told, yo, you fight for our kingdom now as a superhuman. And when you burn out, we'll find another one. Oh, man. And some of those people managed to escape and find their own way in the world. Uh, but some people volunteer for the process. You know, there's this running theme in riffs, actually, that you can exceed the limits of humanity at a cost that you know becoming more than human has a price attached to it and for juicers that price is that your body burns out you know you have five years of being captain america and then you start getting cancer or you know osteoporosis or alzheimer's or all of them at once
0: Okay, moving on to Glitter Boys because yeah. that's really sad. That, that, that it that is took a, sad. Took a dark note. Yeah, I know,
1: right? Uh, <laughs> juicers are 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 glorious and sad, uh, and I and don't do drugs, kids, is a lesson.
0: <laughs> Obviously.
1: Uh, so, Glitter Boys were actually the thing that drew me
0: into Rifts. They're the thing I hear about the most that makes me like probably the most interested is Glitter Boys.
1: Yeah. So, Glitter Boys. Uh, it You can use it interchangeably for this specific suit of armor or their pilots. So the Glitter Boy armor is a 10-foot tall, two-ton walking tank covered in chromium armor that bounces lasers off it and can take almost any amount of kinetic punishment. And they're called Glitter Boys because you know, they're chromed up, and covered in these shifting rainbow patterns when the light hits them. <laughs> and the standard armament of the Glitter Boy is a rail cannon called the Boom Gun.
0: Which is perfect.
1: Yeah. The, so the Boom Gun is a rail gun so big that to fire it, first the Glitter Boy has to lock into place, like all of its joints lock. Then a pair of uh, diamond-tipped drills shoot out from its boots like five feet into the ground, and then the jet pack on its back starts firing to provide counterweight. Then the boom gun goes off, and something probably ceases to exist within its line of sight.
0: As long as it hits it.
1: As long as it hits it. The Glitter Boy's jetpack does not allow it to fly. It is there only to provide counter ballast for that gun.
0: <laughs> now, can you play a
1: Glitter Boy at character creation? You absolutely can. So Glitter Boy pilots are basically like these legacy heroes because during the the Dark Ages, after the Apocalypse, but before human civilization started to bounce back, the power armor pilots of the last Golden Age of Humanity were basically the only thing that stood between humankind and total destruction. And so there's like this mythos around the Glitter Boys and their armor that they stood and held the line against the dark.
0: Because they're so shiny. Uh-huh, because they're so shiny.
1: <laughs> and so, you know, Glitter Boy armor... Every suit of it that exists now is 300 years old and still in the almost perfect functioning condition. It's almost like a religion in some ways. Their armor is a symbol of hope to people. Easy, strong in the original riffs and is not a sad sight in savage riffs, let me tell you. <laughs> still holds up. It still holds up. Like I mentioned in 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 original riffs, mega damage, 1 mega damage point is 100 hit points. And most mega damage armor in original rifts, gave you like twenty or thirty points of mega damage that had to be whittled down by weapons. The glitter boy armor suit had uh, around eight hundred. Holy cannoli! Yeah, uh, and so much it's bookkeeping. <laughs> so much bookkeeping, crazy. And the savage rifts version of glitter boy is wow. Like I look at it and I'm like, that is amazing. Uh, and I actually got to play a glitter boy during one of the uh, demos. Of Savage Rifts before it got released at Gen Con, I want to say in 2016 or 2015, run by uh, Sean Patrick Fannon, and it was the Glitter Boy experience I had been looking for my entire
0: <laughs> life as a Rifts fan. So what do they do now? They just—I'm guessing that they're mega armored.
1: Yeah, they're—they—they are mega damage power armor. You know, they're big, bulky, heavy hitters. A Glitter Boy suit is essentially a walking tank. That's what it is. Okay. One of the, the the things that I really like about Savage Rifts, particularly, uh, is that it really captures sort of the like multi-tactic, uh, squad dynamic that you get from uh from good military stuff. Mm-hmm. Because you have the Glitter Boy, which is huge and powerful and long range and heavy hitting, but very slow. And it makes really good armor in that sense, you know, in the, the, you know, here's a tank sense of armor. But you need, like, infantry, like the rest of the party, to keep people from just swarming over it and stabbing it to death. (laughs) Yeah, because it can't hit them. Because it can't hit them. But no, Glitter Boy is is everything I really want it to be, and you can play one right out of the gate.
0: Which is all I care about.
1: (laughs) You can also play a power armor pilot with a different suit, but I don't know why you would want to.
0: No, it's the shimmery glitteriness as that what attracted me.
1: <laughs> the, it absolutely is. Uh when I was uh, a wee lad, I had just gotten into role playing. Uh, my gateway game was Gurps. Oh wow. Yeah. I, I had gotten introduced to role playing at a uh summer camp for smart kids. <laughs> nerd, nerd summer camp. Gurps was okay, you know. It was I was like I I kind of like kids like this. Uh, and then the one of the players in that was like, well, there's also a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles role-playing game. And I was so into the Turtles at the time. <laughs> I'm shocked. And, and uh, in one of the Ninja Turtles role-playing game books that he had was an advertisement for Riffs, And they talked about uh, Glitter Boys and Crazies and Juicers. I'm like, Glitter what the crap is that? Because <laughs> you, you don't get, like, this connotation of power from the word glitter, you know? Yeah. Any time there was this this moment of of like dissonance for me, of they're talking about something that is really cool with the word glitter,
0: <laughs> I ha- and that got me fascinated. Yeah, I have to know more. I have to know more. See, for me, I'm of the generation where it's like I want, like when I'm playing video games online, I want the most like kitschy, stupid skin on the avatar to, to stomp yeah. you with. And So hearing I about Glitter Boys that are shimmery walking tanks, I'm like, I, I'm here for it. I'm 100% yeah, the, here uh, for it. The
1: original uh, armor, like the, the original name of that armor before uh, the apocalypse
0: was uh, the Chromium Guardsman, which is descriptive, but not as cool as Glitter Boy. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't have no. that. Like, There's something to the name Glitter Boy that, yeah. like I said, has drawn me in yeah, every you, time I hear had- about riffs.
1: You have that moment where it's like, it's a power armor, but it's a disco ball, you know?
0: (laughs) And I just want to introduce myself. I just want to be like, hi, my name is Gage, and I'm a glitter boy. Mm -hmm. There's something there that I just want to capture. (laughs) All right, so... We've talked about some stuff that I, the, we've talked, we've covered all five things that I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure a small fraction of the stuff that you know, is there anything else when you're talking specifically, you know, like I said, we'll L- narrow scope, let's talk Savage Rifts. Let's talk Savage Rifts, North America. If someone's interested in diving in, is there anything that you feel like you would want that we haven't talked about yet that you want to like mention?
1: Oh my God. Uh, yes, absolutely. The thing that I almost forgot to mention but now I'm, I'm glad you, you made me take a step back. Uh, no, really. Uh, like, one of the things that got me really hooked into riffs originally, this laser focus on the cost of being superhuman. And so almost all of the ways of exceeding human limits have some sort of weird cost. Like, you know, you'll burn out in a few years, or you'll go crazy, or everybody thinks you're a monster. Or maybe you really are a monster now. Uh, And for the, you know, you really are a monster now, nothing really captures that better than the vampire kingdoms. Oh, there's vampires. There's vampires. Uh, (laughs) Where would you be in a kitchen sink setting without vampires? Uh,
0: That's a good point.
1: Riff's vampires are very different than classic ones. Uh, Like their whole, you know, the legend of you can't cross running water is sort of a, a, a misinterpretation of the idea that running water hurts vampires. But in the context of original rifts, running water can mean a squirt gun.
0: <laughs>
1: so, so you can kill a vampire with a super soaker. That's amazing, actually. I'm, I'm here for that. So if, if you think about a creature that water is their enemy, they're going to settle someplace where there's as little water as possible. So you have vampires in Mexico. Like, thriving in, like, the Sonora Desert, building these these eldritch Aztec blood kingdom sacrifice uh, lands. And so you have, like, this thriving civilization of Mexican vampires right across the border, which in many of them are kind of better than the Coalition. (laughs) Again, Nazis. Again, Nazis. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, you have vampires in the South. You have you know Nazis in the north you have weird psycho mages in the east and then the further west you go the more it's like we we don't know either <laughs> but no like the 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 emphasis of riffs on human enhancement human capability and the ways that that humans give up parts of themselves to become more always really interested me so you have the vampire kingdoms which are you know humans who become monsters You have the Coalition, which is humans who have given up their humanity because they think they need to to fight monsters. You have the Federation of Magic, who are humans who have learned to wield a power that comes from somewhere else. And then you have all the weird human enhancement stuff. Like, Juicers are just, like, one of those. Then you have, like, uh, there's another original Rifts class uh, called Crazies, uh, which not the most gentle take on mental illness really and a little unwoke for the modern day but like they have a cool aesthetic you know the the idea is that you get these nanite implants in your brain that unlock your real potential but cause synaptic breakdown over time by the time you reach your full potential of you know you know my body is overclocked so much that you know i can dodge bullets and i can you know, telekinetically lift objects you know you might think that your best friend is a large talking rabbit. All of that stuff is, is really interesting from like the long perspective of risk. And that's just like barely scratching the surface in North America.
0: Again, I'm learning that I need to limit scope. Absolutely.
1: Of RIS. You know, like there are like two books about South America, a book about Japan, one about Russia. I'm sorry, two about Russia. Excuse me. And just all the, these other places in the world where
0: they're all grappling with their own kind of ongoing ripple effects of the apocalypse. And I'm looking now on the Pinnacle site, also for anyone who's interested. They have, um, I mean, a bunch of free one sheets for Savage Rifts on uh, Pinnacle's website. Mm-hmm. But I'm also seeing this interesting thing where they have uh, making rifts. Mm-hmm. I have not seen these before. I'm sure you probably have. But where they go over, like, how they did Magic, like it's like iconic frameworks and making magic mega like stuff like that mm-hmm. like going over some of their design philosophy on the conversion which is very cool I, I love how transparent uh pinnacle and most of its writers and
1: designers are about this sort of thing they have been great about getting community feedback and response about the things they have chosen to do with adventure edition and with savage Rifts
0: going forward and it's just wonderful so if people want to check that out the main one is on Pinnacle's website, and I'm going to guess that the Kickstarter, once it's delivered, will be up on drive Through before the physicals, right? That's generally how they do it.
1: Almost certainly. Uh, last thing I had heard from uh, folks who would know more than me, <laughs> they're hoping that uh,
0: the PDFs might drop sometime in June. Which would be very exciting. I, I, I'm gonna, not going to lie, I'm still nervous about... I just feel like if I ever jump into Rifts, it's going to take up my gaming for the next year and a half. <laughs> like, completely. And it's like there's just so much I want to do. It's like I, but I don't think I'll be able to start and then stop. Much like a juicer, I will just <laughs> live hard and then burn out. Now I understand that entirely.
1: Uh, like my first riffs game, like I said, really suffered from a lack of focus. Like I, I wanted them to see how cool everything was all at once, and no one knew what to do with anything. The fact that they give you so much more structure with Savage Rifts is all to the good, I think. And they have the Tomorrow Legion. Yeah, the Tomorrow Legion. Uh, (laughs) A lot of people do not care for it. I think it's a great idea. I think it's long overdue. in fact.
0: Well, it's also one of those fun things where it's like, if you don't want it, don't use it. Exactly. (laughs) It's a hard thing for us. And then for people who are interested in Heroes of Terror, I know we haven't talked about it all that much, but I also know you have a jumpstart out. I mean, I have your jumpstart already because I was an ultimate backer in this Adventures Edition Kickstarter. (laughs) because of course I was Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if people want to check it out I know all of this is on drive-thru it
1: is uh, the jumpstart is on drive-thru currently I am collating my high tier backers contributions and getting all my art notes sent off to our great artist Jen who is just fantastic I love his work the fact he is doing I think 90% of the art for Heroes of Terror is just wonderful that's awesome. And how
0: many Waluigi-inspired characters are there in that? Um I don't want to give away too much, but it's more than one. <laughs> uh,
1: it might have been the case that at least three people gave me like I I want to include Waluigi in the same I'm like Waluigi, why not Wario? But I guess <laughs> Waluigi captures people's mentality more, I don't know. I'm I'm all in on Waluigi. <laughs> It it it's great. Like uh, my highest tier backer was a guy who donated contributed three hundred dollars to the Kickstarter. There is no three hundred dollar tier. I want to note.
0: <laughs> he was just that into it,
1: and uh, that's awesome. And, and so uh, one of the the Waluigi inspired things is his, and, and I really hope that everyone uh, winds up liking the the finished thing because uh, once the uh, the current round of tier editions is done. The uh, raw manuscript
0: is going out to uh, everyone who pledged
1: $5 or more. So be watching for that.
0: That's very cool. I, you know, like I said, I have the jumpstart and I've been wanting to run it, but I just relaunched an ETU game. Yeah. ETU is great stuff though. Yeah. It's just, it's hard though. Cause it's like my wife keeps telling me that I have to stop <laughs> because I, you know, I have the podcast. I go, you know, I put out the little, uh, the dinosaur book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did, you know, and then I'm running a game. And then I actually, I actually have a job too. Surprise, yes. surprise, like everyone else around. And I also have a job. She's like, yeah. you need to stop. And I'm like, I could like, I want to do, like, if I had this schedule, like a normal person schedule instead of my weird, crazy schedule, mm-hmm. I would love to do like a one shot, like what uh, the GM's table is doing with like one shot Wednesday. Yes. Where it's just every week we do a different jump start. And just go through all of these amazing settings. Because I don't think I, as a Savage Worlds fan who has a podcast where we talk about Savage Worlds a lot, I don't think I even I was aware of exactly how many licensees were around. There are a lot. Really cool stuff. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And yours is just so unique. <laughs> well, Thank you. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. But no, I, I,
1: I wasn't aware of how many licensees. And I went to a licensee seminar at Gincon <laughs> here that I got my license. And there were a lot of us there.
0: you're like, man, if I had known, I wouldn't have licensed. No,
1: (laughs) no, really like it. it, It's really interesting. Pinnacle is so good to their licensees. They're, they're so involved with us. You know, they, they, they vet us ahead of time. They don't have the resources to vet every single thing we release. They are involved with what we do. They want to, you know, make sure that when we do big projects that we get the attention from the community that we, we, we want uh, and the amount of free
0: advertising they give us through their own official channels is just, they Pinnacle, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Pinnacle are just good people. They are. <laughs> they, they, they just, just straight they are. are. I've never, I, when I started this show, no episodes out. Uh, I'm not a writer. I'm not a license. You know, I just, I hadn't written anything. hadn't licensed anything. hadn't done anything but played in a home game, decided to start a podcast. And I sent Shane an email raw out of the woodwork saying, Hey, do you want to sit down? And he was the second guest I ever had on the show. Um, and when he came on the show, they put it in the newsletter too. So my show second week out was in the pinnacle newsletter and it's just every story you hear about interacting with, I mean, we're going to gush a little bit. People yeah, deal yeah. with that. Um, <laughs> every story you hear about like the interactions with them, it's always like that. They're just, they're very sweet, very kind. I've had, you know, and I've gotten to have Clint on the show mm-hmm. who Clint, you know, normally we do a half an hour. This I knew was going to go long cause riffs. Um, but I think when Clint and I were talking, we, it was like two and a half hours, mm-hmm. like of just us talking and just, I really, really enjoy them. And Jody is just one of the most
1: pleasant people I have ever dealt with in the industry uh, i I have dealt with a lot of folks in role playing at this point uh you know as a player, as a writer, as a freelancer, and the people at Pinnacle just in general are the best company I have ever worked with, and that is not to cast shade on on like any of the other folks you know there there are some great people at you know who were at Margaret Weiss productions back when they were still doing role playing stuff. You know, there are great people everywhere, but pinnacle shockingly decent folks, consistently good production,
0: consistently good messaging, just so nice to work with. I agree. And so with that, we'll wrap with a, with a love fest right. for pinnacle. Cause they deserve it. They absolutely do. And also everyone check out heroes of Terra because it's very, very cool. <laughs> and I want Jeremy <laughs> to keep you, making stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Gaming with Gage. If you have ideas for upcoming guests, want to chat with the cast, or a chance to play in some of our games, you can find our Discord link in the show notes. You can also find the show at facebook.com gamingwithgage, and on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at GamingWGage. Your support makes this show a reality week after week. One of the best ways to help out is to leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We read all of them, and sometimes we even read them on the air. We look forward to hearing from each and every one of you. But until then, we'll see you next week.